0: Hey y'all, my name is Phoebe Brous and I'm a news reporter, opinion writer, and podcast contributor for the Daily Bruin. And welcome to Deep Dive, a Daily Bruin explanatory podcast that investigates national, UC-wide, and campus-wide events affecting Bruins. In this two-part series, we explore the emergence and proliferation of ChatGPT, a natural language processing tool that functions as a search engine and facilitates human-like conversation with the user. When my friend introduced me to ChatGPT last October, I remember feeling sort of uneasy. It seemed like this new Terminator-S technology was a little too good to be true, like the machine would evolve so rapidly it might reach through the computer screen and possess me. Now I use it for everything, improving my writing, helping me with coding assignments, or answering basic questions. You might use it for the same reasons. It's obvious that through its advanced capabilities and potential impact on the classroom, ChatGPT and other AI chatbots will tremendously affect the education system. In March, 2023, the UCLA Academic Senate announced that the use of ChatGPT or similar technologies is prohibited unless otherwise endorsed by the instructor. Aside from analyzing the immediate impacts of ChatGPT on the higher education system, this series also aims to illustrate its broader societal implications. Today, we hear from two UCLA experts. First, Violet Pang is an assistant professor of computer science at UCLA. In our interview, we discuss the basic functions of GPT and how it expands upon previous innovation in natural language processing. Then, I speak with Ramesh Srinivasan, a UCLA digital humanities professor who focuses on these technologies' impacts on people, markets, culture, and politics. He explains his hesitancy and concerns at ChatGPT and AI innovation more broadly. As a note, these interviews were conducted April 2023. Enjoy!
1: Yeah, so I'm a assistant professor at the computer science department working on natural language processing. And I actually work on two broad areas uh, known as natural language understanding and natural language generation.
0: And so for students who aren't familiar with Uh, NLP, do you mind describing what that means and and
1: how it relates to ChatGPT? So NLP is a field that we teach computer to understand human language, the natural language. And usually we work with text sequence. And it's related to ChatGPT because ChatGPT is basically a OG model, natural language generation model. So you are talking to them and then the model will generate human language, so that you will feel that, oh, I can have a natural conversation and then I can get something out of it.
0: And in the context of ChatGPT, I feel like for folks that don't have a CS background, it seems like the emergence of this technology is kind of new and scary and out of, out of the blue. How, in many ways, has this technology been a product of, of research that's happened in the past? And, and could you like situate us
1: there in that context? Definitely. So, ChatGPT have several stage of training, the several stage of building, right? Um, the very basic stage, and I still think it's a most powerful stage uh, that empowered. It is called language modeling, which has been there for more than twenty years in the research community. And language modeling is a very intuitive task. We can have some interaction, right? It's basically the task is just to say, I give you for dinner i ate blank right what what should be filled in that blank
0: any food
1: <laughs> like yeah. spaghetti right. okay then if we make a little bit of a contrast for lunch or for breakfast i had oatmeal okay right so yes. in in other words although you can have any type of food in both contexts there are also this cultural background that you mm. will know for breakfast you'll have oatmeal eggs Milk, right? And then for dinner, it's more likely to be spaghetti and then whatever. And then for lunch, it's probably more likely to be salad and then sandwich and all that, right? Then I give another context. As a vegetarian for dinner, I had. Despite being a vegetarian for dinner, I had. So, so the language modeling is just give machine this task. For all this ta- test, I give you a context. Actually, machine R required to do it at every step. So it's like from four and then for what? For dinner, for lunch, for breakfast. And then I ate, right? And then at every step, the machine is tasked and predict what's next. And then it's very powerful is because we have a lot of resources, which are the internet sources, all the internet recording of human doing question answering or have the Wikipedia and mm. have all this forums discussion. And then the machine is just reading all that in, try to predict what would be the next word given all the previous context. It's been there, this task and this technique has been there for more than 20 years. But what uh, is different now is we have much stronger computation. And then we have also better model to be able to more adequately for the machine or the like basic machine learning models to capture the nuances in the Mm -hmm. context. So, then with all the power of computation and the better modeling, then these like ChatGPT and GP4, they have been trained on all possible data that you can think of, all the data dump on the web, on Wikipedia, and they can't they read all that. And then they've been trained to predict the language. And then from there, there are additional techniques to say, uh, to try to uh, let this model to follow instruction in the sense that when I say write a poem, because it has this basic understanding by reading all this internet, have basic understanding of language, we still need to align the model with when I say write a poem, what does it mean? When I say I need a summary, what does it mean? When I ask a question, what does it mean? And then have a little bit of additional training on this instruction alignment, then that's pretty much what we see now as ChatGPT.
0: What distinguishes ChatGPT from a traditional search engine is the focus on language and and also the fact that there's a singular output or or
1: how do you view that? Yes. So for a search engine, actually you need to do the heavy lifting, right? You give mm-hmm. Keywords. One thing is search engines mostly just keyword matching. So you give either keywords, we give, usually give keywords. It will first try to extract the keywords from it and then do keywords matching, give you a lot of output, and then you try to choose what's relevant. But then for these language modeling, it's sort of read and you can view it as memorizing the whole Internet. It will spew it out by you give your query or question. It just think about what's the best next word to spill out given mm-hmm. your question and then mm-hmm. that will be your answer. On the other hand, there are pe- issues people have been discussing about that. It's not always guaranteed that the the results are accurate because it's a memorization and a spill out. It's not the exact thing that you can find on the internet by matching. So that's mm-hmm. why there will be hallucination.
0: And in the context of higher education, how have you seen and how do you predict students will use this technology in, in their classes?
1: Yeah, for me personally, I first, I don't felt for my class. We, we don't have a lot of a- essay writing. So I felt it's less, probably less useful. Although I know they, they are also good at maybe write code, but then our code is also more advanced. I felt it's la- less likely then they can use it. On the other hand, we also don't have adequate mechanism to really detect that. So I cannot say Mm. it for my my impression or my understanding is in my class, I haven't been saying too much of that. But um, speaking of that, I felt like personally, um, because I'm not, ai am a second language speaker, right? Uh, ESL. I sometimes use ChatGPT to edit or polish my emails, for example, Mm. some Mm of the things to make it more smooth. And I I do find it's actually quite useful in those scenarios.
0: Yeah, I I agree. In light of UCLA's recent announcement, do you have some sort of opinion about the way that administration is dealing with this? Or maybe something in the future that needs to happen, something they should consider?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, it's a, this is a complex matter, right? I do see it will be more problematic for people to really use this. I say it's like in the worst case, the consequence can be pretty severe in the sense that students no, no longer put the hard work in and they also don't even check the output and then it can be all errorless. And then just they use this tool and then submit whatever they are tasked on doing because along with the homework or writing, it's actually a learning process, right? It's not mm-hmm. what we care about. It's not, not really only the end product, but also in order to get that end product, the student need to do all the work, reading and all that to be able to complete some tasks. But on the other hand, I also think, for example, in the scenario that I'm mentioning for ESL, people to be able to write more fluent, fluently and then more like a native speaker in the sense that the content is still yours it's really about the language right mm-hmm. I thought it can be actually a good usage and it's like an advanced grammarly type of thing yes. um, yeah so I think in that sense I actually think we should allow the usage so again it's a little complex that I think my hope is more of there can be more detailed guideline. We shouldn't say we will allow people to use it freely, right? Like if whatever, however you want, but then probably also not completely ban it, but give a good guideline about in what scenarios we think it's helpful or we think it's totally fine using it and in what scenario you shouldn't use it and also give a little bit of a reasoning about why so that student also establish the understanding on on why um, and then hopefully they will be on board and they will also understand also have the generalizability of this is not allowed and then another thing maybe it's not exactly right in ad but it's the same spirit it's also not allowed that type of thing.
0: Mm -hmm. And more broadly, how do you predict these models will continue to evolve, especially in the context of GPT-4, which is remarkably better than the previous version?
1: I think it will continue to evolve. I even saw a rumor, but it's purely rumor, saying GPT-5 will come in July, actually very soon. I think there are several things that uh, the community has been trying to improve this model one is the multi-modality ability because for now it's mostly just texts right but we know um, text or language language is a synthetic symbol system it's actually used to describe our experience and it's grounded to his experience or the visual cue and a lot of these other modality whereas the original model without all those visual cue is a little inadequate. So they're adding like GPT-4, one of the features is like they start to understand images. And I think they'll move to understand videos as well. And then from video, understand the temporal relations between events, understand them all, these spatial relations, some common sense knowledge. Another thing is they're trying to build models to predict the model's performance, like before mm. we build a new iteration of the model. Based on what we have already know, there is this learning curve. Can we know the next iteration, either with more data or uh, more parameter or whatever, what will the performance look like for certain tasks? And then based on that, they are trying to improve or like use that as a guidance for them to build a stronger model. So I do see it will continue to evolve. Yeah, especially with the introduction of additional modality that will help them out have more knowledge that may not be in the written language. That was Violet Pang.
0: Next, we have Professor Shrinivasan. We start by discussing ChatGPT's direct impact on higher education and end with his views on how UCLA can lead in responsible usage of artificial intelligence. As a faculty member and an expert on technology's intersection with the political, the economic, the social, I just kind of want to hear your initial impressions or thoughts about how how ChatGPT and ChatGPT4 are going to impact the education system long-term and short-term.
2: Well, in a certain sense, ChatGPT is is not actually that different than the ways lots of other so-called big data technology platforms operate, right? In the sense that what it does is it correlates a query you make to it to bodies of data that are being gathered. And so that's the same thing on an, in, in a sort of different format. It's similar in, in its functioning to the ways Google search engine functions or other sort of also social media feeds and algorithms function. Except the question of what determines what is selected to be fed back to you could be based upon a variety of different design principles that you know, we know in the case of most social media feeds It's not merely correlating your data or your query in the GPT case to what comes back to you, it's also selecting what comes back to you based on what's most likely to you or outrage you or essentially grab your attention, right? So it's not totally clear if GPT's sort of guiding heuristics or parameters behind its algorithms function in the same way, whether the content that's coming back to us is intended to be attention grabbing but it's worth noting that 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 what comes back to us with almost any big data tech platform is based on patterns of data that are being gathered about us. So now, tying this to to education and UCLA in particular, I think is a very big issue because what this technology does is is essentially allows you to author and create content about almost anything based on these patterns of data. So that allows it, we are we do have histories of chatbots, including ones that were involving Microsoft. This is not the first chatbot, it's just the most complex one with the most sophisticated ability to act human-like and to gather enough data to be in a sort of ongoing way, continuously conversational. So it's it's a huge issue because Essentially, you can have ChatGPT do the kinds of things that we would want our students to do in terms of being critical or reflective or analytical, but without them actually doing any of those things. So in in essence, what it does, it mimics human behavior, but it accomplishes none of the things that we actually want out of education, which is being imaginative, which is being critical, which is being analytical, which is being creative. And this technology is just sort of gonna mimic generally speaking, mass cultural patterns around a given query. It's a huge issue for us, not because the technology is actually particularly spectacular. I actually don't think the technology is necessarily that interesting. I think the way in which the technology can be inserted to so-called disrupt, or I might use the word threaten, many traditional activities that are important to us as human beings, I think that's the main problem. The main problem is how it's gonna affect workers and how it's gonna affect the ability of what we do best in a top university like UCLA, which is encourage and get our get our students to be creative and reflective and to show leadership. But now if you have a tool that can basically pose for you, you're gonna actually not gain any of those skills that actually are critical and you know there's a lot of evidence that a lot of robotic and automated systems especially in the area of care caregiving caretaking we that humans again and again reject they don't want automated robotic systems to do caretaking so all those real attributes of what make us human which is creativity and care are being sacrificed by this technology so obviously i'm very very critical Uh, of taking this too far. That said, it does have functions it can provide. Like it might be an interesting tool for us to work with as long as we actually have a sense of economic just, or at least balance in our world. Actually have an educational institution that's actually educational. So education isn't me dumping information onto you. It's us together creating and ideating and reflecting it's about the analytical and the creative sides of, of, of learning. Learning by doing, learning by trying, learning by making mistakes. This thing is can allow people to not do any of those difficult yet critically important activities to being in a top university or just in education itself. It sells our students short. For any of our students who use this, you're actually not getting what you could get, you could otherwise get out of your university experience. Like I don't like judging people for using anything, but I think that in a sense, you're wasting your money and your time at UCLA if you overly rely on this. I mean, maybe you can mail it in and get a degree and before we're able to sort of regulate this sufficiently like on even an on-campus level, but you're selling yourself short. You're doing yourself a disservice. You're kind of doing everybody a disservice. If you, con- if you consider this tool, which is a total black box, to become this sort of representation of you.
0: Yeah, and I I think that relates well to your humanistic uh, approach to technology and this optimism you have that we can innovate and be creative. And I'm curious, like, in the context of the the job market that's going to shift and and the education system, like, what new skills or practices need to be prioritized?
2: The key for work of the future and workers of the future. More importantly than work are people right workers or a sense of economic dignity in a world where technologies are threatening making precarious i would say economic security that's because that's not the fault of technology it's because those technologies are being introduced and driven and monetized by private corporations that in many cases are not even profitable which is crazy they're worth some in some cases they're worth hundreds of billions of dollars like an uber but they're not even profitable What we have to do is arm our students and we also ourselves as faculty have to be on top of being able to work with the technology, knowing like how it functions, looking at it, deconstructing it, pulling it apart. So that's why it's absolutely critical that we arm our students to understand what we call the affordances of different technologies, right? So like, what are the values by which that technology is created? What are the political and economic models that drive that technology? What are the histories associated with that technology or the organization behind it? What are the design principles and engineering principles and heuristics that are used in the design of that technology? Those are the kind of conceptual and analytical skills that can allow our, future stu- our students now and in the future to actually develop new versions of products like GPT that might be even more supportive of human creativity and care. That's possible. The issue though is again and again and again, we're not taught creative social science oriented skills because and that I don't blame anyone in any university, including our own on that. But that's also because now any discussion of technology, design and engineering is no longer only about engineering or technology. Technology is the central mediating force in people's life chances around the world. Digital, corporate, big data, algorithmic technology. It's it's critical that our future education initiatives are hyper interdisciplinary and systemic oriented. You're learning about macroeconomic externalities while you're learning about computing heuristics. You have to do both at the same time, but it's very difficult in large universities. The bureaucracy and the inertia mm-hmm. makes it very difficult with old school institutions like our own. And you know, you can see another version of it in a very much more dysfunctional form with the United States Congress.
0: From an administrative level, UCLA said yesterday that ChatGPT violates the student code of conduct, I, I'm interested in your reaction to that and maybe other mechanisms for the UCLA to administration to adapt or not police, but regulate this this technology.
2: What I'm, what I'm trying to do is, you know, have my students, I try to give them a, a range of different assignments where they really can't or wouldn't want to use GPT so we can mm-hmm. balance it out. I try to teach about what is problematic about not just this technology, but other technologies. Not because I'm like some skeptic or cynic, but I want us to be analytical about this all. I totally agree that policing something never works, right? It's, it's more, but I think we, we need to figure out ways to convince students and the wider community That we shouldn't just bow to this technology. We got to, instead, what we could do is try to articulate the types of uses of this technology that could be very productive to a learning experience, which may not be that many, but it could be a few, right? So like, for example, if I'm like an anthropologist and I want to play with different types of software code, I don't know why, but say I want to do that and I'm not trained in building software code, I could try testing out different types of versions of software That GPT would create. And in that case, look at GPT as a text, like a cultural text. The problem, though, with doing that, and even what I said earlier, is that they don't publish their source code. They don't publish much on their learning models. Mm -hmm. Note that the company is called OpenAI, but it's not open in any way at all.
0: Closing, I wanna like more broadly discuss your lens of optimism and democratizing technology creating technology that serves the public interest. And I think like in the context of ChatGPT, there's a lot of panic and, and fear around and, and cynicism around the, the capabilities of this technology. Curious if you could give us advice or a framework for being more optimistic or promoting creativity in this realm, in this world.
2: My optimism comes from being human rather than being a machine. My optimism comes from my times and experiences working all around the world and seeing the incredibly creative things people can do to make technologies work for them, hack existing technologies, design technologies according to different types of value systems, and seeing technologies as little more than expressive of our creativity, but also our our values as human beings, our diversities, right? Now, of course, it's very easy to give in to two types of branding that are very dominant today, and they both sell, just like the way social media algorithms function. Trauma branding is a is a big thing these, this day, these days, which is sort of like, it's all awful, there's nothing we can do, it's all black boxes. I agree with the critiques underlying it, I don't agree with the conclusion because the conclusion leaves us completely powerless which is absurd. If I have the privileged position of being a, university, a professor, a full professor at one of the top universities in the world who is a scholar of these issues and a former AI developer. I, I shouldn't just be doing peddling trauma branding. That to me is irresponsible of me, especially when I'm in a public university. So that's point one. Point two, more, even more annoying and more awful is when lead, so-called leading people who are discussing technology decide to turn it into the Terminator complex or the Matrix complex, then that leaves us even more powerless. It sells really well to talk about how this technology is going to become Robocop or Terminator or you choose Black Mirror type thing, but like, that's our choice to take it there or not and there are many steps that need to be taken before that could even occur and the idea of it becoming some sort of super species basically it takes it what it does is it actually shields us from the real life issues associated with this technology the absence of transparency the absence of public audit and input the economics of this all of these technologies leverage an internet that US taxpayers paid for which started here at Bolter Hall right at UCLA so you know what? It's not fair for me to, to I, and I, if you notice, I'm not trying to vilify any of the engineers or CEOs or any of the people in these companies. I'm not even interested in that. I think it's absurd and irresponsible for us to to just sort of assume that we're all screwed, excuse my language for that, and left in the dark and 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 unable to do anything about it. I think that's just totally absurd and irresponsible. I want us to double down on life. I want us to double down on what it means to be human. I want us to double down on what it means to be alive so it's like all right ucla community you're part of the the most well-known or now i think now number one public university in the country we're also a now i think like a top 10 university or around there in the world all that's a brand that's a status we have to leverage that to lead in this area we can't just be either catastrophizing or just like being, I don't know, just sort of like being like, oh, don't use it, it's bad. Mm
1: -hmm. That's not
2: good enough. You know, here's a huge opportunity for public institutions, what's left of them. You know, libraries, universities, things that are not just about speculative capital and capital valuation. Here's an opportunity for us to no longer have to just sort of like bow to that and be like, hey, here's a whole other set of alternatives that we believe in. This is what technologies of all types could look like from that perspective.
0: I really enjoyed working on this episode and two things stuck out to me. One, GPT is not necessarily new. It's a product of language modeling science that has existed for more than 20 years. Secondly, with all new technological innovations, we must approach them skeptically and rationally. We must be conscious about them without being scared of them. If innovation is inevitable, it's just a question of how we adapt and use responsibly in the future. Next episode, we'll talk to UCLA community members with backgrounds in philosophy, English, design media arts, and political science. You can listen to that episode and other Daily Bruin podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud, and the transcript for this show is available at dailybruin.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next time.